What berries are the healthiest when it comes to breast cancer prevention? There was a study that looked at over 3,100 foods and measured their antioxidant content. And at the tippity top, literally 124 times the blueberry was, drum roll please. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Escondido, California, Round Rock, Texas, and Las Grutas, Argentina. We appreciate you all helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 76 of season 5, number 375 overall. And our Let's Beat Breast Cancer series rolls right on. And on today's show, we begin with four questions based off of the fact that more than 2 million women will be diagnosed this year alone with breast cancer. So those questions are, what can be done to bring down that astronomical number? And should food be a big part of that fight? And when it comes to diet and breast cancer, just how strong is that connection? And finally, is your dinner telling you more than your genes when it comes to your risk? Renowned breast cancer surgeon and the founder of the Pink Lotus Foundation, Dr. Christy Funk joined me on the exam room live this week with all of those answers. And we will be learning together today so many things. Discovering the foods that you can be eating right now that will lower your risk. And the ones that will drive up that risk with every bite. Also today, we're going to be opening up the doctor's mailbag and answering questions sent in by the exam roomies. Questions like, what berries are best for breast cancer? And, interestingly, how should we eat them? Also today... Can cheese cause cancer? What do we know about that? Also, sugar and fat. How much fat is too much fat, even when it's healthy fat and breast cancer? We're talking about nuts. How much is too much? Also, vegetables. What are the healthiest options there? And then for you coffee drinkers and tea drinkers out there, we're going to be getting into the science between that warm cup of happiness and your breast cancer risk as well. And before we begin today, I just want to say how great it was during the live show to hear from so many breast cancer survivors who hung out with us during the chat on Wednesday afternoon as we broadcast live. There were so many women hanging out with us, staying on top of their health, and more importantly, inspiring others who were watching and listening that day as well. Indeed, it is an awesome sense of community, and I thank you so very much for being a part of it. So, what do you say? Let's raise our health IQs together right now and beat breast cancer with Dr. Christy Funk. Dr. Funk, it is so good to see you again. Thanks for doing Let's Beat Breast Cancer with us again for 2022. Oh, Chuck, I love it here. You're my glamour boy. You know that. And I'm so excited to answer some Q&A today. Glamour boy. All I do is do a little hair and makeup. That's all, Dr. Funk. But thank you. You humor me. Thank you so much. Uh, it, you look fantastic. And uh, right away, let's let's see the shirt. This is new for 2022 for our Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign. Whoop. Yeah, there it is. Eat plants, crush cancer. 
That's what I'm talking about. I love that shirt. Mine is uh, in a team meeting. I came up with that slogan. Ooh, was that a Dr. Funk original? I love it. That is some good thinking. Mine is in the mail. I wish it were here today. We could do the whole twinsy bit. (gasps) Next time. <laughs> There's always next year. All right, let's start answering some questions here and lowering our risk for breast cancer. Um, I want to start with a question from Mickey. And Mickey wants to start talking about fat here. Are there certain types of fat, Dr. Funk, that are more likely to cause cancer than others? Ooh, there absolutely are. So when you look at the data on dairy and breast cancer, it's a little bit mixed. And some of that is because there that milk will slip in some quite healthful things like calcium and butyrate, vitamin D. Um, And if you counter that with the unhealthy aspects, uh, aflatoxins and saturated fat, the data shows that the higher the fat in the food, the higher the risk of breast cancer. So uh, very, very specifically, for example, there was one study called LACE, Life After Cancer Epidemiology Study, that looked at just over 1,800 early stage breast cancer thrivers, and they were followed for 11.8 years. And those who had, get this, it's not a lot, one or more servings of high fat dairy a day, so think butter and ice cream, versus those who had less than half a serving. So we're not comparing to soy milk or anything. Those women had a 49% increase in all-cause mortality. So we definitely want to be avoiding high-fat, saturated fat, um, even the healthier monounsaturated fats. You break that down again into omega-3s, omega-6s, omega-9s, and we find that you're in a very inflammatory state if you have too many omega-6s versus threes. So the highest concentration of healthy omega-3 fatty acids on the planet is in flax seeds. I want to see women eating two tablespoons of ground flax seeds a day. And where are you getting all the inflammatory ones if you're a plant-based eater? Probably the oils. So watch your processed foods with the sneaky oils. It's interesting that uh, you're you're saying eat uh, flaxseed because Lou wrote in uh, when I first posted that you were going to be doing the show with me on Instagram and Lou was like all excited. She's like, you got to ask her specifically about flaxseed because Lou had actually been told that flaxseed can cause cancer. So where is that disconnect coming from? Whoever said it causes cancer just hasn't seen the data. I'm obsessed (laughs) with flax. So it's literally one of my top three things that I get inside my body every day without fail. Half a cup of raw broccoli, two tablespoons of ground flax seeds, and two to three servings of soy in any of the healthful ways that it can come, including tofu and soy milk. Um, So what's the deal with flax? We just talked about it being a healthy omega-3 fatty acid, which is anti-inflammatory. However, the real power probably comes from lignans. So lignans are anti-estrogens, and there is a great study that they, they, it's from England, um, England or somewhere in Europe, uh, where they're very fancy because they were doing breast surgery on women and froze their blood. And then on, this is breast cancer patients. And then they followed these women out and were able to go back to the cryopreserved blood and check the lignin content versus mortality from breast cancer. And it is like a linear correlation. So the higher the lignin content in their blood, 
20 years prior when they got their breast surgery, the lower the death rate from breast cancer. One of my favorite studies about flax and breast cancer is the muffin study. I called it that. You can't Google search it. <laughs> but they had all these women, 50 women, who had 30, 32 women, sorry. I should have notes with me. Um, but it's 32 women. They all had breast cancer diagnosed on a core biopsy, right? The sample you get before the big surgery. On that core biopsy, they looked at three markers that cancers express. So one was the KI-67, the division rate. It answers the question, how many of these cells under the microscope are one becoming two? Another one was apoptosis, the decision the cell makes of like, I've lived enough, boop, I'm gone. So cancer cells suicide. And the third was a marker of aggression called CRB2, okay? So they got all those numbers, then they gave every woman a muffin. Half got a placebo muffin, and the other half got a muffin with the equivalent of two tablespoons of ground flax a day. And this is actually the study where my two tablespoons comes from as a recommendation. If you read my book, which you should, Breast the Owner's Manual, um, I just uh, advocate for one tablespoon. So I've doubled it since then. But off they go, right? Basically change nothing else in their lives. This is just slice of American pie type people, right? There's nothing super healthy about them per se, average people. And then we added some junk food, a muffin to their daily eating for five weeks. Then they had their definitive breast surgery. Get ready to have your mind blown. Now they reanalyze those three markers from just five weeks of two tablespoons of flax. The division rate on the cancers went down by 31%. So they got a third slower. The apoptosis rate, the cell suicide went up by 34% and the marker of aggression, CRB2, dropped 71%. So absolutely flaxed it up. I am a fan. And so is the science. Flax for the win right there. I mean, that's that's some pretty big data right there. I'm loving that. Plus, it's a muffin study, right? I mean, you can never go wrong with a muffin. Am I wrong? You can, I actually. I you can. <laughs> can you? Can you? I, I don't know. Uh, all right. Roll call time. I want to say hi to Janice and Marianne, who are checking in from Victoria, British Columbia, up in Canada this morning. Uh, Punch Life is in L.A. Also want to say hi to Ian, who's watching in Norway, says, uh, unfortunately, right now, struggling through his second bout of COVID. Uh, Ian, I hope that you feel better soon, my friend. JK is in Stockton, California. We got people checking in from around the world across the country. This is a pretty great program. And so I'm really glad that you're here, Dr. Funk. Um, I want to kind of take it back to the beginning. And I think that really maybe we should have started with this question is when it comes to genetics and it comes to our diet and risk for breast cancer, which is greater than the other? Is it really food or is it all about the genes? For the vast majority, it is all about the food and healthy lifestyle choices. And why am I so confident in saying that? We know that only 5 to 10% of all women and men diagnosed with breast cancer have a genetic mutation that really led to the development of the cancer. So I'm talking BRCA genes, CHECK2, PALB2. These are easily tested for in saliva or blood. So if you think you're at elevated risk to carry a genetic mutation, it is much more affordable to get tested these days. Insurance covers it. Uh, basically, if you have two relatives on one side of the family who have had breast cancer prior to age 50, ovarian cancer at any age, male breast cancer in the family, Ashkenazi Jewish plus just one breast cancer prior to 50, 
or ovarian at any age, or just a whole lot of cancer going on. So you can see if it'll get covered by insurance. And when it doesn't, your average test, literally looking at, I look, check 84 different gene mutations in people routinely. If insurance fails to cover it, it's $249 to the company. So um, I encourage you to get tested, particularly if you have a strong personal or family history. But again, only five to 10% of people can blame their cancer on this genetic mutation, which if you have one, depending on which one it is, doesn't necessarily condemn you to the fate of getting breast cancer either. And it is true that in the context of having a mutation, diet and lifestyle can alter the expression of that gene. So let me ask you this, if we're talking about five, per, uh, five to 10% with the, that genetic component there, how many, well, what is the percentage of cases, Dr. Funk, of breast cancer in your estimation are preventable? The science will show kind of irrefutably that 50% of all invasive breast cancer would be prevented by following a whole food plant-based diet and healthy lifestyle behaviors, particularly maintaining an ideal body weight, exercising regularly and limiting or eliminating alcohol. Those are the biggies. Um, then to the degree that you can control environmental toxicities, avoid hormone replacement therapy, control emotional stress, which leads to cellular inflammation, you would be getting extra bonus points on reducing your risk. I believe that if we could all really perfect our diets and lifestyle, which is a tall task, but if you did, I think hands down, we'd be preventing 85 to 90% of all breast cancer on the planet. Whew. Those are some big numbers. I mean, even if you stick at that 50% and you're talking about more than 2 million cases and 50% being the bare minimum, 2 million cases worldwide every single year, you're taking half of that off of the top. That's all the way down to a million. That's a lot of lives Indeed. that are going to be spared at that point. I mean, that is that is a big, 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 big difference there, Dr. Funk. Enormous difference. Um, Jeez, Louise. All right. So let's keep getting that help out there so we can get up to that 85 to 90%. I mean, that should be the goal right there. Um, we were talking a little bit earlier about the connection with dairy. And Shira is wondering whether vitamin D is a nutrient because it's so prevalent in dairy. You see it marketed right there. Is that a nutrient that can help reduce the risk of breast cancer? Yes, absolutely. You want to make sure that your vitamin D levels are between 40 and 80 nanograms per milliliter. So get a vitamin D3 test to make sure you have sufficient levels, uh, particularly those who live in climates where it's dark a percentage of the year. You may be deficient in vitamin D because your skin isn't getting that critical 12 minutes of sun exposure daily, uh, which which here in New York, I'm not getting, but I live in sunny Southern California. Um, and one thing, a tip there, people don't necessarily know, you can't have sunscreen on the exposed skin or else you're not going to get the vitamin D conversion. But yes, there's an absolute decrease in breast cancer for those who have sufficient vitamin D levels that approaches 50% uh, less breast cancer if you have uh, the appropriate vitamin D level. And if you've been diagnosed with breast cancer, it's very critical that you fall in that range that I mentioned. Um, we often have to supplement women with 50,000 units weekly until they reach an appropriate level. And then they can usually drop down to uh, about two to 5,000 units um, a, a week. 
that's a lot of vitamin D to, to get you back up to that, that normal level. How long does it usually take for somebody who's just like really have insufficient levels to get back up to that normal range? Just a couple months. Okay. All right. Um, Speaking of missing nutrients, question here from Mary says, uh, I've recently turned vegan, but my husband keeps telling me that there may be vital nutrients that are missing now from my diet. Is that true? And if so, which ones could they be? It is true. And the main one is vitamin B12. So it turns out that carnivores get enough B12 from the meat, not because those animals like cows can convert to B12 and we can't, but that they eat dirt. <laughs> and it's actually uh, the microbes in the dirt that's making the B12. And then they eat that and get their B12. So you should always supplement with a B12 vitamin. You could do 100 uh, micrograms a day. Or uh, as I do, I do 1000 micrograms twice a week. And um, the other one is, is an I get an algae-based um, EPA DHA supplement, at least 250 milligrams every single day. This is to make sure that you're making enough long-chain fatty acids out of your short-chain fatty acids. So because we're not eating fish and the like, um, you could have a deficiency of long chain, which is very neuroprotective. So we don't want any neurodegenerative, you know, Alzheimer's dementia headed our way in later years. So it's controversial in the vegan community, whether or not you need this supplement, but I'm not going to wait until I'm 80 to find out if I forgot that I probably should have been taking it. <laughs> Those are the two main ones though, that you want to supplement with um, because your vegan diet will be lacking. I don't want to wait till I'm 80. Yeah, that's uh, probably a wise, wise thought there. Um, all right. You know what? I start my morning every morning with fruit. I mean, that is just, that is my joy of joy when it comes to breakfast. And so um, we've talked in the past about berries being particularly beneficial here. Um, Melanie is wondering what berries are the healthiest when it comes to breast cancer prevention? Ooh, well, that's a good question because the answer is just bury it up. It really doesn't matter. But if you want to be like the tippity top of the entire antioxidant scale, there was a study that looked at over 3,100 foods and measured their antioxidant uh, content and using the ORAC scale. And at the tippity top, literally 124 times the blueberry was, drum roll please, the Indian gooseberry. And since that's not readily available at your local market, I advise the powdered form, which is called AMLA, A-M-L-A. Um, we have a store actually at Pink Lotus called Elements, and we've got a jar of it called AMLA Boss, and it's a uh, very high quality, um, very potent. You only need an eighth of a teaspoon a day of that AMLA, AMLA Boss, but just AMLA powder. However, if you really want yumminess, the, all of them, blueberries, blackberries, you know, the richness of phytonutrients is always in the skin and it's always in the color. And I find it fascinating to think about how, except for the occasional overdose of beets that can make you poop or pee red-ish and make you think you're hemorrhaging, um, you really never pee out the color, right? You don't. And that's because your body is absorbing it because it's so desperately excited that it has all these amazing nutrients. So the power of berries um, is really in the, um, I was just studying this actually the other day, there's like a whole a new uncovered science, like the magic in berries is these urolithinins and um, they exist only because the elagic acid 
in berries is converted by your healthy microbiome, your gut bacteria into these urolithinins, which are very anti-inflammatory. So associated with decreased cancer, decreased cardiovascular disease, decreased diabetes. Berries can be eaten fresh, right? Or frozen. They're often cheaper to be eaten frozen. And that's Good news because it's a win-win. They are cheaper and the polyphenols that are released, the cells are already lysed when you have frozen berries. So you have a more rapid release, a more complete release of the polyphenols into your bloodstream. So pop some frozen berries uh, into your warm oatmeal with a couple of tablespoons of flax, a little spritz of cinnamon, maybe a couple of walnuts, couple, I didn't say cup of, a couple of walnuts and bam, that is an anti-cancer meal. Two cups of walnuts with the oatmeal. That's a lot of walnuts, Doc. Even uh, I heard nice. I didn't say it, but I heard that it sounded like I said. Yeah, no, I, I got you. Uh, and that is actually eerily close to uh, my typical breakfast. I love putting frozen fruit on top of that hot oatmeal. So you can just go to town straight away, right? You don't even have to wait for it to cool down. Um, it's just game time. Um, Melanie kind of had the follow-up there. So you were talking about what's, uh, you know, frozen being... Uh, a, a little bit better here, but is, you know, is there a better way to eat the fruit? So I guess she's wondering like, what's the best way to maximize absorption? So if frozen is, is the one seed here, do you even take that to the next level? If you put that into a smoothie, right. And you're more drinking those nutrients as opposed to eating them whole. Does that even make a difference? It does make a difference and in a slightly negative way. So what we're kind of edging toward is juice, right? So smoothies though have the whole food and just ground up, but it's now in more of its molecular form. So you have slightly more rapid absorption through your intestine of the natural sugars in the fruits. So this is a good time to kind of address that, the sugar in fruit, should we be avoiding all sugars? There was actually a 2022 study that looked at sugar consumption in diagnosed patients. And there was a 16% increase in recurrence and mortality for those with higher sugar consumption. But again, does that really vilify and include our whole berries? And the answer is no. So when you eat a whole fruit, the sugar is bound to fibers and other elements of that food that your digestion process takes longer to break down. And so when you finally get to the little glucose molecule that's absorbed, it's done so over time in a way that never spikes the glucose, which spikes your insulin. And elevated insulin, by the way, in case you don't know, it's not so much the sugar, that's the problem. It's the insulin coming out to manage all this glucose in the blood. Insulin is very inflammatory. It is a literal direct stimulator of cancer cells screaming at them to grow and metastasize. Um, insulin actually decreases IGF-1 binding protein, which is the body snatcher from the blood of the IGF-1, which is the most potent growth promoter inside of our bodies. So when it insulin decreases the binding protein, you now have an elevation of IGF-1, which if you've never seen any of my podcasts with Chuck, where I wax on about IGF-1 and really explain why it's so bad, you should go watch it. But IGF-1 is bad. It screams at things to grow, including cancer. So this hyperinsulinemia that happens from pure sugar, cookies, cakes, pastries, candy, sodas, um, is really dangerous because of this, the job that insulin does at creating all this uh, pro-cancer havoc inside of you. The fruit situation then is fine when you eat it whole because it's 
not rapidly absorbed. It is a, compared to what question when you ask about smoothies. I'm a huge advocate of smoothies. Uh, I have my antioxidant smoothie that's like nearly viral online packed with all anti-breast cancer foods. And studies have shown that even smoothies don't spike your insulin in a way that you need to worry about. But going down from there, juice is just bad. It's removed the fiber, uh, first of all, which is such an important nutrient, and it does spike your sugar. Do you know whether there have been any like really large scale, highly cited studies that compare breast cancer risk between naturally occurring sugars with the fiber and fruits versus refined sugar that's, you know, in the cakes, the sodas and foods like that? You know what? I th yes. Um, it, it's the one, it just came out in December, 2021 in the European Journal of Nutrition. It's called Types of Carbohydrate Intake and Breast Cancer Survival. So did, are you just baiting me here? <laughs> no, I'm, I, that was an honest to goodness question. I'm like, I, I got you. I'm wondering like, is all of this being piecemealed together, you know, from various studies here or there, but like, has there been one that's just hyper-focused on this that was done on a large scale? Seems yeah. like there was. So yeah. Here we go. This, uh, this particular study that just came out, um, uh, prospectively looked at women with breast cancer. There were 8,932 of them with stages one, two, and three breast cancer. And they were followed for an average of 11.5 years. And they documented 1,071 breast cancer deaths and then compared it to different types of sugar intake from different sources. So they did total sugar, added sugar, and natural sugar, as well as carbohydrates from uh, whole foods. And that's where my 16% that I just mentioned came from. What they found is that greater total sugar intake led to breast cancer specific mortality. So dying from your breast cancer as opposed to just a heart attack or something else was 16% higher. So total sugar led to a 16% increase in death from breast cancer and a 23% increase in death from anything. <laughs> so there you have it. Yeah, that's fascinating. And so then I guess the nerd in me is wondering, well, in this study, and I don't know if you'll know this off the top of your head, did they also account for, you know, the fat that would be likely to be found in those foods that have those really refined carbohydrates in them? Again, talking about things like cake and donuts and things like that. No, they were focused on the sucrose and fructose and glucose. They didn't talk about fat at all. Gotcha. I mean, you could just go down this nutrition rabbit hole all day and just like really hyper focus on this and that. And it, it just, it blows my mind. It's just fascinating science. Um, but thank you for sharing that study. That's amazing. I, that one totally passed by my radar. So yeah. yeah I'll send it to you. So yeah. Yeah. And in that one, by the way, the intake, they did look, so the intake from fruit juice was the worst of all. And um, really, yeah. And the wow. carbohydrate intake from vegetables uh, was less. Okay. Well, okay. Well, that's the great segue then here, right? So we have been talking about fruit, but now let's talk about vegetables that may be really protective when it comes to breast cancer, which are the ones that we should be uh, really focusing on to lower our risk. That's a question from Sam. My favorite to focus on would be broccoli and that whole cruciferous kingdom. So we're talking everything from kale and arugula to Brussels sprouts and, um, broccoli, broccoli sprouts and when, cauliflower. That's the thing I was like, stuck in my brain. Say that word. Okay. 
I'm obsessed with broccoli because of sulforaphane. So if you don't know, um, there are these isothiocyanates that are incredibly masterful at seeking out and destroying cancer cells, but not just any cell. And the masterminds of recurrence called breast cancer stem cells. So stem cells are kind of a, a new hot topic in that when I went to medical school, you were taught you're born with a finite number of stem cells uh, and they can become whatever you need them to be inside your body, but you use them and lose them and good luck after that. Not true. It turns out that we can create new stem cells. One of the uh, most efficient ways to do so is to do a five-day fast, um, either like total water or a vegan ketosis type of fast, a la Walter Longo's work and Prolon. But um, back to broccoli and what it's doing. So these isothiocyanates are converted to sulforaphane, which sulforaphane as a molecule has been shown, albeit in mouse studies, but still they grafted estrogen positive and estrogen negative wads of these masterminds of can breast cancer stem cells onto mice. I'm not pro animal experience experiments, but as long as I have this data to share, I'm going to share it that mice taught us this. So we've got these tumors, right? And then they injected increasing amounts of sulforaphane into the abdomens of these mice. And it was only a three week period where this ball of cancer stem cells went going, going, gone. So that's the power of sulforaphane. And your next question should be how many barrels of broccoli <laughs> does it take for me to eat to have that effect on a bunch of stem cells? And without explaining all the research that went into it, it turns out that because broccoli sprouts have a hundred times the full sulforaphane content of broccoli, it takes a cup and a quarter of broccoli sprouts, that amount of sulforaphane to accomplish that incredible feat. Um, so I would say chief among the Christopher's kingdom is going to be broccoli and broccoli sprouts. Myrosinase, the magical enzyme that converts your ITCs into sulforaphane is destroyed by heat and cooking. So you always want to either eat it raw or just sprinkle some raw florets chopped up or any other cruciferous veggie like a bunch of arugula and kale with your roasted broccoli so that you're getting the enzyme back in action so you can have the full conversion. All right, so that's broccoli. The other food champion is going to be soy when it comes to breast cancer. There are few better studied foods than soy when it comes to the power of decreasing occurrence, recurrence, and death from soy. Every single human study ever conducted on soy and breast cancer shows a definitive 30 to 60% drop in occurrence, recurrence, and death. So contrary to what you may have heard, and we can dive deeper in the podcast about soy, it is absolutely a must-have food, and I would strive for two to three servings a day. I already mentioned that flax as a seed is an excellent food to be consuming daily. And then really, it's just all the healthy berries are powerful. The things I have in my smoothie, you really should check it out. So the base of it is a cup and a half of soy milk. Then there's two cups of berries. There's two fistfuls of greens. So boom, 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 you're already getting that. Then there's the flaxseed turmeric with some piperine from pepper to activate the curcumin in the turmeric. I've got the amla coming from the amla boss in there. Um, and I'm trying to think of like, the apples are shown to be very big superfoods, 24% uh, decrease in breast cancer for those who eat an apple a day. Red apples have more of the pro-anthocyanidins in, in uh, 
in the skin in people. Extracts from the peel have been shown in petri dishes to stop breast cancer cells in their tracks uh, with much greater potency than extracts from the fruit itself. It kind of broke up there a, a little bit there, Dr. Oh. Fung, but would, would I be right in saying uh, that, that I heard you say like red apples uh, are, are the better option when it comes to that as compared to green? Yeah, as compared to green, but you know, apples are great. Not, not in apple pie though. No, pie people. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I want to say hi to uh, Plant Fit Meg, who's joining us today, cancer survivor herself. So, uh, Meg, thank you so very much for being here. Uh, Julie checking in from Florida says she loves the podcast and she loves Dr. Funk. Well, she's having a pretty good day then. Thanks for joining <laughs> us, Julie. And uh, Mona says, this is so informative as every woman on my mother's side has had cancer and my own, which was caught early. I so believe in the early detection for someone at risk. Uh, Mona, I'm glad that they caught that early. Thank you so very much for being here. And Mona, actually, that leads us to a great question that came to us from Holly, sent this one in a little bit earlier. And you were talking about genetic risk here. And Holly said, well, I understand that it's only five to 10%, but still, how worried should I be if it runs in my family? So we have the data, but is there anything that you you talk to your patients about as far as just like wrapping your mind around this if it is running so rampant in their family? So, yes, there are a couple of things. One is to really analyze how rampant. So if we're talking first degree relatives, it may be reassuring to find out that if your mother had breast cancer, um, well, let's back up. One in eight women, just being born a woman, get, you have a one in eight chance of getting breast cancer. So that's 12.5% chance. If your mother had breast cancer, your 12.5 because of mom becomes 17.5. May I just throw out the fact that being obese doubles the risk of breast cancer. So their rate is, just from the obese part is at least 25%. So just pointing out that fact, right? Like, so you wouldn't want to necessarily talk about mastectomy with someone from my point of view, just because their mother had breast cancer. If your sister, however, has breast cancer, then your 12.5% risk becomes 20%. Again, just being obese is a 25% risk. And it's not like we even think about talking prophylactic mastectomies in every obese woman. So in my opinion, nor should we be thinking about that in someone with around a 20% risk. When it elevates past that though, and it includes factors over which you have zero control, um, then it's a meaningful conversation, I think, to have. In terms of how many relatives in the family tree have breast cancer, risk can continue to elevate. And there's a model, statistical model we use online called Tyra Cusick to help estimate your personalized risk. And when it's over 20%, I do increase the surveillance plan in people. And when it's over 30%, depending on their um, level of tolerance for risk, we can consider medications or surgery to reduce risk. But in terms of the family tree being polluted with all these cancers, the other thing that runs in families is like the brisket recipe or the grandma's apple pie recipe and these you know, unhealthy inflammatory foods and maybe a environment in which everyone's kind of sedentary and our best vacation is one sitting in a lounge chair by a pool with margaritas. So, if these behaviors run in your family too, perhaps those are the reason that there's so much cancer in the family.
there's a lot to yeah. think about. <laughs> that that is a lot to think about. Um, and it really wasn't until I started doing the exam room that the concept of not just inheriting genes, but inheriting the family recipes and the family lifestyle really started to click with me as well. And it, it just seemed to make perfect sense. You know, it's like, oh, oh, that's <laughs> absolutely right. How about that? Right. Yeah. Um, I want to take a question here from a breast cancer survivor by uh, who who's watching us today on YouTube with uh, Punch Life Back. That is their their username. This I love one it. came. I, I know, isn't that great? You should That's see the icon. Great. Hopefully, we can pull this one up on the screen. Uh, start it came in at twelve oh seven. Said a breast cancer survivor here. Does the no safe amount of alcohol, which is one of the four prongs here, uh, does no safe amount of alcohol apply to ingredients like vanilla extract and soy sauce or the naturally occurring alcohol in things like ripe fruit? No, those alcohols are um, sugars that are very minimal in those types of, of uh, flavorings like vanilla. The real problem with alcohol is the fact that acetaldehyde is a potent carcinogen um, and there's none of that in the things that you're mentioning. So we're really talking what is alcohol? So it's 14 grams of alcohol is five ounces of red wine equals a 12 ounce can of beer equals to 1.5 ounces of hard liquor. And the pool data, the current uh, risk assessment from the NIH is that for each drink consumed daily, breast cancer risk goes up by 7% in premenopausal women and 13% in postmenopausal women. And that's the kind of alcohol that you want to be avoiding as a breast cancer thriver. Let's see if we can knock three more out pretty quickly here with the time that we have remaining. Um, we haven't talked about breast density here on the show. This is kind of a hard term from what we were talking about in terms of nutrition. But Linda, nonetheless, with a great question, came in at 1203. Uh, are dense breasts better checked with an MRI than a mammogram? Yes, they are. So density, it's graded A through D, A and B. Those women have more fatty tissue in their breasts than actual dense tissue. The density is referring to the milk producing lobules and the tiny ducts, the tubes that carry that milk down and out the nipple. When you look at a mammogram image, those things, lobules and ducts, look white and splotchy. So the more of that you have, the denser your breasts, the whiter the image problem, cancer is white. So now we're looking for a snowball in a snowstorm. So our C and D level women have between 50 and 100% of their tissue appearing dense on mammogram. So we need to add to that screening process something that doesn't see white on white, snowballs and snowstorms. Those two things are routinely ultrasound, which still sees the breast tissue as white, but cancers are gray, black, and kind of jaggedy and pop out. The other is MRI, as you mentioned, which when cancer is present, finds it um, almost 95% of the time, which is our best imaging tool to look at the breast. So why don't we just throw women into an MRI every year instead of mammograms? Cost for one, it's a 45 minute exam in a clinging tube that can create claustrophobic, or if you are claustrophobic, you're not gonna make it without heavy sedation. It's also uh, expensive. You also need an IV injection of something called gadolinium. Otherwise, it's completely useless. You have to have the gadolinium, which was found in a paper, I want to say, in 2014 to pool in people's brains when they have excessive MRIs. So what it does there, we don't know. It's not like it was a cadaver study on dementia, 
but there was gadolinium in the brains of many people who all, when they tracked it back, had frequent MRIs. So this isn't a good screening technique for the masses. And if your breasts are simply dense, but you don't have astronomical risk for other reasons, I would say get a 3D mammogram once a year, six months later, just to space it out, get your whole breast screening ultrasound, and then six months later, you're back to that 3D mammogram. Lots of options there, options that didn't necessarily uh, exist uh, what, two, three decades ago. Um, that's we're making progress there. Um, so we, we have some follow-up questions about fat, and this one comes to us from Melissa at 1219. She's wondering uh, if you could talk a little bit more about a whole food, plant-based, low-fat diet. And, you know, we were joking about the two cups of walnuts with the oatmeal, right? But, you know, what is that that proper limit for things like nuts and avocados and seeds. Um, that's kind of their concern there. Quarter cup, quarter, Simple cup. Answer. quarter cup a day per day. And that, uh, and that accounts of, for of nuts, nuts and seeds. Yeah. Okay. And, and what about avocados? Say like oatmeal is my jam for breakfast, but some people love avocado toast, right? So right. is one avocado a day too much? Should it be a half? Should it be every other day? What are we talking here? I think one medium-sized avocado a day is fine. It also has 13 grams of fiber. So if anyone knows me, you know I'm obsessed with fiber. You know, and then it's within reason, right? You have to be looking at your own profile. Like, do you are you starting out with really high LDL cholesterol? Are we are overweight? Because those are the sneaky ways that plant-based eaters can pack on pounds as eating things that are higher in fat and processed so that they've got the sneaky oils and salt and sugar packed in there too. And what about things like olive oil uh, that's purported to be healthy? What's the risk factor there? Should that be taken out of the diet in terms of cancer risk? You really want to minimize oil. I think there's no need to be like sauteing anything in oil ever. You cannot taste the difference if you saute it in water or organic vegetable broth. Um, if you want to have like a teaspoon of oil on in your salad dressing. That whole bowl is filled with such goodness. It's really not going to be negated by a little bit of oil, in my opinion. But know that oil is very inflammatory. And as much as extra virgin olive oil and expeller pressed organic canola oil have the highest levels of omega-3 fatty acids of all of the oils. So those are probably the only two. If you're going to have like a little cheat meal, I would favor those two oils and never use or touch or think about any of the other ones. I mean, sunflower, safflower, goodness no on the coconut oil, which is 90% saturated fat. Um, but really you want to avoid the oil to the degree that you're willing to, it is better for you to avoid it altogether. Don't forget every single oil on the planet is 120 calories of pure fat. Just the breakdown of that fat is what varies between oil. And it has no other nutrients at all. There's no fiber, there's no vitamins, there's no minerals. It's just liquid fat. All right. And the final question has to do with what's in this cup. Every morning, a lot of us reach for coffee. A lot of us drink tea throughout the day. Have there been studies that look specifically at the effect that coffee or black tea or green tea have on the risk of cancer? Oh, yeah. And far and away, green tea, especially matcha green tea, is going to have the most powerful anti-cancer effects. Um, drinking three cups of green tea a day is in my to-do list. I personally don't like 
tea that much, probably because I don't put anything in it. So it's not that tasty. So I don't really drink it. I throw the matcha powder. So it's the whole leaf uh, into the smoothie that I'm having. Um, so uh, studies have shown that the EGCG, epigallocatechin gallate, that's the magical molecule in green tea that is missing from black tea. Um, it has the power to stop the initiation, promotion, and metastases of breast cancer cells. It has the power to destroy breast cancer stem cells um, in Petri dishes. There's an amazing study on that that I love. So for sure, the green tea, black tea is packed with antioxidants and is healthful. You'll be relieved if you're a big morning cup of joe person that as long as you're not ladling in a bunch of sugar plant-based creamer. Um, it is an extremely healthy drink. And this is the funny part. I mean, kind of funny. The All the studies show that there's a definite cancer reduction in coffee consumers, but they have to have five cups a day. So it's kind of a lot, <laughs> but it is healthful. It can cause breast pain and breast cysts, but neither of those things is breast cancer. And there's no association between coffee or tea consumption and getting breast cancer. Five cups of coffee. Man, no wonder Starbucks does big business. Yeah, so I'm a I'm a big tea guy. Have you ever uh, blended green and black tea together and just had like a really bold tasting cup of tea? No, but the way you described it makes me want to go do that right now. It's pretty good. And and so like I was not a tea guy. I was always a coffee guy until I discovered the blend of the black and the green together. And I was like, ooh, what we have here, my friends, is a game changer. So <laughs> and give that a try. Straight up or do you put straight something? up straight? But I, I also drank my coffee black too. Always had, even when I was still overweight, like that was, that's just the way to do it, you know? Um, so anyway, uh, that's my recommendation. If you have tea recommendations, go ahead and post them in the, uh, the chat right now. Let's spread it around a little love with the exam roomies. How do you take your tea or your coffee? Uh, let me know. Uh, Dr. Funk, what do you have going on right now at Pink Lotus? Ooh, I have so many things going on. I want to share a couple with you. One is called local chapters. So I've got 25 major cities across the country that have these local chapters in them. So you can join. And the whole purpose is to walk the talk together. You don't have to have had breast cancer. My kids come to some of the events. So we do walks, runs, hikes. We go biking on the beach bike path. Sorry to make you jealous if you don't have a beach near you. But we did that uh, just a few months ago. Then we went on a hike last month. We have a camping trip coming up that's three days long. We do cooking together. Um, so it's really just about the camaraderie and social connectedness with the like-mindedness of wanting to live your healthiest life. And it's fun to do these things in community and with others. Oh, I have a group fast coming up, guys. Um, check out pinklotus.com, the website, uh, and go into Power Up. This is my online community. There are a ton, 50,000 or something members. And um, there you'll find ways to connect with others. You can go into chat rooms, but look at the local chapters are there. And then find out through cancer kicking where my, when the fast is, I think it's next Monday. I should know we're doing the five day prolonged fast. And because I hate it every time I do it, I do it every four months. Um, and I'm kind of miserable. So now, you know, misery loves company and that make it the whole community do it with me. We're going to meet on Zoom at night and um, eat our dehydrated astronaut soup together. The other <laughs> big there that I want to share with you, because it's really near and dear to my heart, is called Breast Buddies. You can find that um, easily by going to breastbuddies.com, but it's all at pinklotus.com in the lower left corner, power up, and it's got a huge drop down. You'll figure out whatever it is you're trying to navigate towards. But Breast Buddies, 
Oh, it means so much to me. So this is a community that now you have to have or have had breast cancer. Um, so it automatically combines like to like. So if you put in, I'm 42 years old, stage one, lumpectomy, radiation, no chemo, match.com for breast. Well, pop up all of these women who have been there, done that They're through their treatments, they're plus or minus five years of your age. It exactly had the same stage. So it's pairing you age for age, stage for stage, treatment for treatment. And then you can look a little deeper and be like, oh, she's posted. She's got a 10 year old son. I do too. I want to talk to her. And she's there because she wants you to reach out and connect. So I strongly um, recommend you check out Pink Lotus Power Up and all of the things in there. I've got this Cook Live series. I'm cooking now. I'm like a little pretend chef. Um, and my angle is it's called Cook Live with Chrissy and Dr. Christy. So Chrissy is a certified um, holistic nutritionist and one of my best friends. So we cook together. She does a little bit more of the cooking because I do more of the talking and I deep dive into certain ingredients and spotlight why turmeric is so powerful, why fiber in the microbiome matters. And so it's really fun. So check out my cook lives. There you go. All right. So pinklotus.com uh, and uh, go get your, your details there. Power up for sure. I want to ask you about this camping thing because I mean, camping is, is fun and all, but I'm not going to make any bones about it. When it comes to camping, I'm not your typical camping kind of a guy. I will proudly stand in the, I will, I, look, There's I will stand, I you glamour boy. <laughs> I, right. I will proudly stand in the glamp camp. Okay. Like I will go glamping before I will go camping. So for those of us who are more glampers than campers, is there that, that option when it comes to, to the camping that you'll be doing? <laughs> there is the option to come glamped out yourself. So you can come with the fancy tent and the air mattress or even drive up with some sort of small motorhome that plugs in and you, you can do the cooking, but um, you could also just come and go if you really must have your California King mattress at night, you could spend the day with everyone and then go home. What can I say? I'm posh. I can't help it. I make no <laughs> bones about it. You know, that's all right. But ah, well, I love you too. I love the fact that you are here. Um, And here's the deal. You're going to be here two more times throughout the month as we continue the Let's Beat Breast Cancer series. So lots of science still to come. And today's Q&A, I thought was a fantastic start. So thanks for carving out a little bit of time for us. And what I know is an absolutely insane jam-packed schedule for you. So thank you so much. Yeah, of course. And let's remind everybody, sign up today if you haven't already. The Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign is alive and well. So go to letsbeatbreastcancer.org and sign up today. You will receive a chance at really fun and fabulous giveaways. You'll receive newsletters. And this month, all month long, every Thursday, we are going live on Zoom, Facebook, YouTube, and uh, Instagram. Each week is a little different. This Thursday, I'm with Dr. Barnard, and we're kind of introducing the whole concept of reducing cancer risk. And then on other weeks, we have a cook live. We're going to do mocktails with a dietitian, and then we're going to have some inspirational survivor stories. So every Thursday live, it's a whole new Let's Beat Breast Cancer .org campaign this year. Yeah, I'm excited about that mocktails episode. I mean, they like mocktails can be those can be a lot of fun, right? I mean, they they just they taste so good. Um, and that cook along is going to be with uh, Eva Lee Scapo, who is phenomenal in the kitchen. I mean, I'm I'm so looking forward to that. And uh, when you take that pledge, by the way, you sign up. So not only do you get access to all of those episodes, Dr. Funk was just talking about. Uh, we're also talking about T-shirts, cookbooks. There's an opportunity to win a Vitamix in there. I mean, it's 
Yeah, there it is. Eat plants, crush cancer. Got to get your hands on one. Um, lots of recipes, the e-cookbook, and there's so much good stuff there. And it's all just by taking a pledge by saying, hey, I want to lower my risk of breast cancer, and I'm going to do this four-pronged approach that you guys have been talking about here today. So let's be breastcancer.org is the place to go for all of those details. Dr. Funk, thank you so very much for your time today. We will do this again very, very soon. Terrific. Thanks, Jack. Bye, everyone. So much more with Dr. Funk still to come this month for our Let's Beat Breast Cancer series. Two more episodes packed with all of the information that you need to know to take your risk of breast cancer and squish it and mash it and drive it as far and as deep into the ground as you possibly can. Take that risk and lower it and lower it some more so that you give yourself the best chance to never become one of the more than 2 million women around the world who are told that they have breast cancer every year. You know, there are three pillars to the exam room. They are inspiration, hope, and knowledge. And each of those three fit perfectly into our four-pronged approach to beating breast cancer. And the four prongs are eating healthy, exercising, maintaining a healthy weight, and abstaining from alcohol. Now, of course, that last one, that sounds really hard if you really enjoy your wine. But there are some mocktails out there, some healthy mocktail recipes that will blow your mind without blowing up your risk of cancer. And we will be covering more of that this month with Dr. Funk. The next time she's on, she will be talking about a whole bunch of new science that has come out over the last year regarding breast cancer. Some really interesting findings there. And then in our final show for the Let's Beat Breast Cancer series with Dr. Funk, we'll be getting into the other steps that you can take. More than just the science, the food, and that conversation, I think it's going to be really interesting. She's promised to talk really in depth about the connection between sugar and breast cancer and carbs and breast cancer. Some new science there that we're gonna be getting into. Also the exercise, maintaining that healthy weight, getting down to that healthy weight, why that's so doggone important in this case. And of course the alcohol. Hey, listen, don't forget to sign up for our Let's Beat Breast Cancer events all throughout the month of October. You can do that right now at letsbeatbreastcancer.org. Pledge to take that four-step challenge, lower your risk, and inspire others to live a healthier and hopefully cancer-free life as well. And there is a link to do all of that right now in the episode notes, as well as a link for you to visit Pink Lotus and get more with Dr. Funk. Also in the episode notes is a link for you to share your five-star health success. This one comes to us from Lou. And Lou writes, I've been a long-time vegan, but this show has kick-started my motivation for ramping up my healthy decision-making. Every time I listen... I want to eat more plants and work out with more energy. So far, I've already lost 15 pounds in two months, and I can't get enough. 
Lou, my friend, that is exactly what I'm talking about. Thank you so very much for sharing your five-star health success with us and keep up that amazing work. I am super happy for you. Super, super, super happy for you. 15 pounds down, don't know how many more you have to go, but whatever your goal is, you're off to such a good start. I'm sure it won't be long before you get there. And if you have your own five-star health success that you would like to share with us here on the show, go ahead and do it. Be just like Lou. Leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, wherever it is you get your shows. And then in a nice review of the show, also tell us about your story, your five-star success. You're putting in all of the hard work to get healthy, and that deserves to be recognized, my friend. And you will be inspiring others as well to reclaim their health. So truly, everyone wins in this instance. And the best part is, because it's about sharing that health knowledge and sharing that inspiration, every five-star rating makes it easier for someone who is in desperate need of change to improve their health makes it easier for them to find the show and get the knowledge, the information they need to then make their health dreams come true. And there's a link for you to leave your five-star health success and that five-star rating for you right now in the episode notes. Today's episode of the Exam Room Podcast has been brought to you by the Barnard Medical Center. The primary care clinic in Washington, D.C. practices lifestyle medicine and promotes plant-based nutrition with in-person appointments and offers telemedicine visits in 18 states. Visit barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500. That's barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to the incredible Dr. Christy Funk for continuing our Let's Beat Breast Cancer series and raising our health IQs. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.